it's on. <coughs> Carl asked me to speak on prayer because it's an area that I'm most excited about in my own life, particularly over the last two or three years. Um, <clears throat> however, you need to understand that preaching on prayer is kind of a black hole. Uh, I mean, after all, uh, once uh, almost everyone feels guilty when someone speaks on prayer, okay? Well, you can relax today. This is a non-guilt sermon. Well, actually, it's really not even a sermon at all. What I'm going to do is share with you a lot of the foibles and struggles that I've had in the area of prayer, and hopefully the things that I've learned on my journey may be a, a help to you. There are a lot of specifics today, and so there's a handout over on the little cart there that lists all those, so don't worry about having to kind of remember uh, everything. You know, uh, I, I need to start with a personal caveat. My journey in prayer has taken a, a long time, uh, as, as you might imagine. Uh, honestly, I think for much of my life, I was kind of stuck in that um, uh, preteen angst. <laughs> Uh, you remember as a, a preteen that uh, it was such a delight just to be like a child and, and uh, footloose and fancy free, not have to worry about the responsibilities. But the problem is there, there's not a lot of significance and not a lot of impact as a child. So then you kind of decide on the next day, well, I'm going to be like an adult and I'm going to do what my parents want me to do and be responsible. I get my studies done and, and things. And... Uh, and, and I feel really good about that. But after a while, golly, that's a real burden. So I want to go back and be like the, you know, kind of back and forth. Well, I think for my life, much of uh, uh, my wrestling with prayer was like that. I wanted the freedom uh, and the lack of responsibility, but uh, uh, also toyed with what it means to be uh, responsible. That changed a few years ago when we ran into the teaching of a guy named Clyde Hodson. He lives here in Arlington, and he actually helped some some of my uh, friends uh, learn to pray, and in fact his whole ministry is helping folks learn to pray. Uh, he has a website that you might want to go to called uh, prayermentor.org, prayermentor.org. And Clyde uh, uh, was uh, on the pastoral staff at Pantego Bible here in, in town for a while, other churches, and has made this his ministry. And it's been a tremendous help uh, in terms of learning different ways to pray, and, and that's been a, a great uh, uh, help to us. The, the bottom line, just kind of the executive summary, is we've seen in the ISI ministry uh, it double in the last three years as a result of what we're calling crazy prayer. Uh, we've seen the uh, number of students involved double, the number of students in Bible studies double, the number of students coming to know Christ personally double. And uh, uh, the number of staff double, too. I mean, it's been incredible. I mean, if you stop and think, double is an unbelievable ROI, return on investment. Uh, now, the reason we're calling it crazy is because most Americans think we're crazy to pray that much. But honestly, you know, I like my ROI better than the ROI of the folks calling us crazy. Uh, you know, really, you have to kind of stop and think. What is it that we really want out of life? Uh, in, the, in the immortal words of Ross Perot, here's the deal. <laughs> Seven times in the upper room discourse, uh, specifically John 14 through 16, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. Did you catch that? 
Now, he said it seven times, it's recorded, in those three chapters. Now, why? Why would someone mention something seven times in the course of an evening? <laughs> uh, assuming they didn't have dementia. Uh, why would he mention it seven times? It was either the most important thing that he wanted the disciples to remember, or it could have been the most difficult thing for them to understand, or both. It could have been the most important thing that he wanted them to remember when he was gone, or it was the most difficult thing to understand. Well, let's start today by looking at the things that prevented me from responding to Jesus' invitation. First of all, I didn't believe him because I lived in a non-supernatural world. Uh, in other words, I had a, an anti-supernatural worldview. Even as a, a believer, practically that meant that my life was kind of segmented, my spiritual life, my work life, my home life, my recreational life. And <clears throat> the bottom line is that it was powerless because I was depending on my own paltry resources to, to make life work. So I had a non-supernatural view of life. Secondly, I didn't believe him because my pride only let me trust him for the big things uh, in life. I'd forgotten that John 15, 5 uh, verse where he says, apart from me you can do nothing. Uh, the Lord would sometimes come and ask, Dara, which part of nothing do you not understand? Well, apparently a lot. Uh, and so as a result, uh, there was a lot I had to learn about how much of my life that the Lord wanted to be involved in. Thirdly, I didn't believe Him because I didn't know His heart. I didn't know the tenderness of His care about everything that happened to me each day. As a mother cares for her child, uh, I didn't know that He was concerned about every aspect of uh, my life uh, for today. I mean, honestly, compared to God's intellect, we're just infants. We're, we're, we're helpless. Or worse, we're like two-year-olds with an independent-minded plan for the day and working on it uh, kind of thing. So I didn't know how much his heart was for each aspect of what I was facing that day. Fourthly, I didn't, know his, I didn't believe him because I didn't know his power. You remember the story of the centurion with the sick servant? And uh, he encounters Jesus, and Jesus says, I'll come and, and heal him. And the centurion says, no, Lord, I'm a man of authority, and I'm a man under authority. You just say the word, and my servant will be healed. That's understanding the power of God. Jesus' response to that was, he equated it with faith and said, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. What an incredible compliment. But God has great power that he wants to use in and through us each day. Now when and how, we don't know, but he'll, he walks us through that. Fifthly, I didn't believe him because I was clueless about the almost constant temptations that I had each day. I'm a trained researcher and uh, a curious person by nature. And so one day I wondered, I wonder how many temptations I have a day. And so I, my theory was maybe what, 14, 15, 18, who knows. So I got a yellow tablet and I walked around all day and I wrote down every time something came across the screen of my mind that would qualify as a temptation, I wrote it down. 
What do you think the number was? <laughs> 236. Page after page after page. Now, <laughs> I got to thinking, you know, we're awake for about a thousand minutes a day. That's a temptation every four minutes. Unbelievable. I had no idea that I was being tempted throughout the day like that. Now, unfortunately, it gets worse because the communications researchers say we encounter about 500 ads per day. Well, an ad by nature was desired to motivate us to want something that Jesus has not chosen to provide for us. So that means about every other minute throughout the day, we're all being tempted. Wow. As a result, um, uh, I learned that I was being tempted to function uh, in my flesh. Uh, instead of depending on him. And finally, sixth, I didn't pray because I had no real accountability to make prayer a priority in my life. So, a non-supernatural worldview, uh, pride keeping me from uh, pr uh, praying about everything, but only for the big things. Thirdly, I didn't know his heart how much he cared for each activity that I was involved in each day. Fourthly, I didn't know his power Fifthly, uh, didn't wrestle with the issue of the constant temptations to be aware of it. And finally, sixthly, not having uh, accountability. Well, let's look at what then he provided that made uh, it much easier to respond to him. The first thing was I confessed my weakness. I confessed I didn't know how to pray. Uh, you know, the only thing the disciples asked, the, it's recorded anyway, that the disciples asked the Lord to teach them was, Lord, teach us to pray. Wow. Okay, there was something they saw that they connected the power with the prayer kind of thing in his life. And so I simply said, okay, I give up. I, I'm, I'm weak. I can't do this. Lord, I need you to teach me how you want me to pray uh, according, and depend on your enablement to do that. You know, really, much of the Christian life is learning what it is to consciously trust the Spirit for each activity of the day, to live a dependent kind of life. Um, uh, each evening when I lay my head on the pillow, I say, Lord, did I do the things that you asked me to do today? Remember in John 17, at the end of his life, he uh, said in his high priestly prayer, Lord, I did the things you gave me to do today. Well, that's a, a great way to kind of an indice to evaluate my dependency that day. Lord, did I do the things that you gave me to do uh, today? Well, what's happened is as a result, I've gotten in touch with my weakness and my neediness. Well, now it's easy to pray. I have to pray. I have, I have to have enablement to deal with all the stuff that I have to deal with each day. Secondly, I confessed my American anti-supernatural bias uh, and asked the Lord to show me his power, but also his boundaries, too, in terms of the, the theological issues there. Conservative evangelicalism greatly reacted to the excesses of the 19th Street Revival in Los Angeles in the early 1900s that spawned the charismatic movement. But I'm concerned that in some cases, you know, and, and rightly so, they were concerned about the excesses of that. But I'm concerned that we may have thrown the baby out with the bathwater in terms of realizing what a, how much power God has to change the course of people's lives. 
from the in inside out. I'm a counselor. I trust God to change people from the inside out. It has to happen that way. It's not going to happen in terms of reacting to circumstances. And so uh, I came to realize how much that anti-supernatural bias is embedded in our culture. Literally, our culture propagates that. Uh, and so it's incumbent upon us to teach our children, or maybe even to teach ourselves, that God is there, that He cares, and that He is all-powerful. He speaks and creates out of nothing. And that's true today, like it was in Genesis 1. Thirdly, I had to confess my pride and independence and arrogance that I was trying to control my life. You know, every one of us in this room lives like a king compared to most of the rest of the world. And the problem with being a king is you kind of get to thinking, well, you know, I, I have a lot of control over things that, that are around. That's not true. Uh, Hebrews 4.16 says, quote, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The more I realized how needy I was, the easier it was in humility to begin to pray, to ask God to work and not take things for granted. I mean, stop and think. Uh, how many uh, groups have you been in when it came time to pray? No one needs anything. That's because our attitude is that we're like kings. In James 4, verses 8 through 10, it says, Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Humbling oneself involves a disciplining of the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions, to cause us to live in reality. Uh, a reality that we have no reason to be proud and independent and arrogant. Now disciplining the soul may, may be a, a relatively new concept to you. The scriptures talk about it as setting the mind. Uh, in Daniel uh, 10 verse 12, the angel is speaking with Daniel and the scripture says, quoting, Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before the Lord, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. So disciplining the soul's mind, will, and emotion is a critical part of growing in Christ. It's a critical part of maturing in Christ. And it's a critical part of learning to pray as that verse connects. Okay, so confessed my weakness and neediness, made it much easier to pray. Confessed my <clears throat> American, secular, anti-supernatural, culturally imbued bias, uh, uh, confessed uh, um, my pride and arrogance, but there's more, much more. Uh, I got in touch with the power of God and how He answers prayer. In other words, I got teachable. What I realized is that I've led a fairly cloistered life in terms of seeing God work supernaturally in this day and age. Uh, <clears throat> last November I read uh, Miraculous Movements by Jerry Trosdale which chronicles what God is doing among Muslims in Sub-Sahara Africa right now. We're talking about whole mosques coming to Jesus. We're talking about sheikhs that rule over imams that are over mosques coming to know Jesus. 
It's unbelievable what's happening. In January, I read the follow-up to it written by David Watson called uh, The Father Glorified. And it really is. What God's doing is blowing people's minds. I mean, they just didn't think this was possible. Last month, I read the new book, A Wind in the House of Islam by uh, David Garrison. He was just here this weekend at the MBB conference I was at on, on Saturday. He he's a Southern Baptist top researcher. And he chronicled uh, movements of Muslims to Christ uh, in the last 2,000 years. Uh, what he found was that prior to 2000, he can only find two. By the way, he defines a movement as 1,000-plus baptisms and 100-plus churches. Okay, that's what a movement is. So it's significant. It's gigantic kind of thing. He has found 82 movements of Muslims to Christ, 80 of which have happened in the last 13 years. It's unbelievable what God is doing in terms of demonstrating his power in people's lives. I watched uh, several times the uh, transformations videos put out by the Sentinel Group, which are chronicling the spiritual revivals that are taking place around the world right now. There's some 50 to 60 of those that they've identified, and they're going and they're doing the, the videoing, the research on, on that. It's fascinating because there's such a predictable pattern to what's going on in each. It starts with people being desperate, as you might imagine, and then crying out to God and God answering in only the ways that God could do. One of my favorite stories from that is the story of Uganda. I mean, we all remember Idi Amin, right? Well, the guy that followed Idi Amin was worse. I mean, it was such that as a Christian, you couldn't even gather together without fear of the police uh, uh, taking you or the troops taking you. So the only place that the Christians could go to get together in small groups to pray and cry out to God was in the swamps because the mosquitoes were so bad in the swamps, the police and troops wouldn't go out there for self-preservation reasons. So they'd get out in the water, be covered, uh, and they would pray together in small groups all night, crying out to God for Him to do to save them because their country was uh, uh, desolate uh, from the leadership that they had had. Well, they also then have the picture of the stadium, which is filled with more than 20,000 Christians. And the president of Uganda reads the proclamation dedicating the nation of Uganda to Jesus Christ. And I just sat there with my mouth open, going, how can this happen in this day and age? But it is. God is at work mightily and moving uh, <laughs> and blowing my mind in terms of what he's willing to do. Uh, and this is, this is current. The problem is I needed to be teachable. In fact, all of these spiritual revivals begin with a group of Christians being desperate and crying out to God for God to do what only He can do to deal with their terrible circumstances. And that's what prompts revival. So part of it was I needed education about the power of prayer. Ask the Lord, fifthly, ask the Lord to show me when I was being tempted uh, not to trust Him and to act out of the power of my own flesh. Uh, what I found was that that's frequently that uh, I've learned to trust Him uh, in dealing with issues of uh, possible rejection, in dealing with issues of uh, uh, trying to run my own life and be independent from Him. Uh, issues of self-protection instead of asking him to protect me. Uh, issues where uh, he wants me to stand when I feel like run or when uh, I feel like I want to stand when he wants me to run for my life. 
and that kind of dependence, I've learned that that, that happens about every other minute or so throughout the day. Now, I have a warning right here because you're going, well, how do you do that? Well, practically, it's a walk of faith, remember? Uh, it's possible to become very OCD about this, vigilant uh, out of a, uh, an obsessiveness, uh, trying to control it. That would be a mistake. Instead, it's a walk by faith. It's an attitude of the heart where we consciously trust the Lord to empower me. Um, start for the next 20 minutes. Lord, I'm submitting myself to you. I'm trusting that you're going to empower me to do what you want me to do for the next 20 minutes. Then as your experience grows with that and you're confident, he gives you the faith to believe him and your confidence and experience with him grows in that, then tr you trust him for the hour, for the afternoon. In other words, it's by faith. It's always by faith, sola fide, always. So recognizing temptations and walking in dependence just takes practice. It takes a, a willingness to learn uh, through many, uh, many trials. Sixthly, I put prayer on my schedule. I live or die by the accuracy of my schedule. Uh, I personally, I'm ADD and very distractible. Oh, look, there's a squirrel. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I'm organized because my calendar is organized. I sit down and put down what the priorities are for the day, what the Lord wants, I sense that the Lord wants me to do, and then I just obey it. I just follow it by faith and, and obedience. And look what happens. Someone that's ADD and highly distractible uh, becomes productive in that. Seventh, <clears throat> I developed a habit. There's just something to be said for developing a, a, a positive habit of, of doing something. Uh, eight, I asked for help and got a prayer partner. Troy, back here, Prater, is uh, helping me be consistent about prayer walking at UT Dallas each week. Every Wednesday at 1045, <clears throat> I pick him up and we go over there. And of course, from a bad leg right now, we're not doing a lot of walking. We park in three different places on campus and pray for the students that, that walk by in that. It's kind of fun. Uh, uh, <laughs> this last week, Troy was like, what, our time's up? What do you mean? You know, you said it would fly by, but when we first started, I thought, you're crazy. We're going to pray for an hour? Oh, that'll be horrible. Uh, <laughs> No, no, when you're in the presence of God and you're crying out to Him, you're bearing your heart over the concerns that you have, uh, time stops because of the pleasure of being in His presence. And you just don't sense that. Time flies by when you're praying like that. So, Troy, thank you for helping me be much more consistent about getting over <coughs> to campus each week to... Uh, and hopefully soon to be walking around campus. Uh, ben Sorrells in Austin is my daily prayer partner, and we talk each morning about 8 o'clock for 10 to 15 minutes. We talk about what's on the schedule for the day, what the, the uh, uh, anticipated crises of the day are going to be, or the, the <clears throat> people that we need favor with that particular day, asking the Lord to provide favor, and uh, we pray uh, for each other for about 10 minutes each uh, morning, almost every morning. depends on schedules and stuff.
uh, this a uh, couple uh, months ago, uh, <clears throat> I met with a couple of guys uh, in Austin uh, to pray each day from 6 a.m. to 6.30. We did it through conference call. And uh, one of them was in trouble in his marriage, and we're old buds. And so we prayed each day for God to do a supernatural work in that brother's uh, marriage because we cared. Uh, and also in the lives of his boys, uh, too. Um, each Monday morning, uh, the ISI team does a conference call. Uh, are you aware of freeconference.com? Basically, you can get up to like 50 people for nothing. It costs nothing. Freeconference.com. And uh, on Monday mornings from 10 to 11, as a team, we pray. I mean, we all live an hour apart here in the Metroplex, but we, uh, we're a team of uh, 15 people now. We pray together, and what a difference that has made. Uh, sometimes with the students over a specific event, because they're in the library until 10 or so, uh, we'll uh, set up a conference call and pray each <coughs> evening from 10 to 11 at night with the students over some event that they're uh, uh, in need of. You know, honestly, the, the deal is praying with a group or having at least one other person to go with you radically increases the faithfulness factor, doesn't it? I mean, it's the same principle of going to the having a workout buddy to go to the gym, right? Uh, because you're, you're, uh, you're, uh, you know that it's going to be difficult if you no-show because your buddy's going to give you grief over it. Ninthly, I began to read on prayer that God would expand my vision of what he wanted to do. Uh, people like E.M. Bounds, uh, people like uh, Clyde Hodson that I, I mentioned, uh, Brother Lawrence uh, practicing the presence. And finally, tenth, like the Nike ad says, just do it. And basically, just began to do that. And it changed everything. Began to see God working supernaturally in answer prayer. It's a funny thing. It has to do with just kind of the ratio, doesn't it? The more you pray, the more answers you see. Oh, I could have had a V8. Yeah. Jesus was clear. He expected us, expected obedience because it glorified the Father and it would be a key to the apostles dealing with a skeptical world. He practiced prayer. He modeled it for the guys, asking each morning for the Father to show him what his plan was for the day and what was needed for the day. Uh, Ian Bounds, uh, he was a layman uh, uh, who wrote incredible books on prayer. Uh, loved to quote the Puritan preacher Samuel Chadwick, and in one of his books he writes, quote, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. Activities are multiplied that prayer may be ousted. Organizations are increased that prayer may have no chance. The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, or prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray, end quote. I'd ask that now in response to God that we take the next few minutes and just silently listen to what God has for us in that, on the subject of prayer. Uh, it may be that uh, there's a business that God wants you to do with him, uh, to listen and hear. So let's take the next few minutes and just silently Listen to what God has to say. Uh, share with him the cry of your heart uh, for what he wants you to do in the area of prayer. Let's pray together.
Lord, as Americans, we're uncomfortable with, with silence, and yet it's only in the stillness that we hear your still small voice speaking. This morning we prayed uh, 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 that uh, you would, in your grace and mercy, speak to each heart uh, here today. We trust that you have an answer to prayer. You've made incredible promises, Lord, and we thank you for that. Uh, Lord, we cry out with the disciples, teach us to pray. We cry out that, Lord, we're weak and needy people. We're people that need to learn what it is to trust you. We need to learn how much you care. We need to learn about your power. We need to learn about what faithfulness looks like. We need to ask for help, too. Lord, thank you for your, your loving kindness to us. Thank you that you've made these incredible promises. And, and Lord, uh, with the disciples, uh, we understand why you had to say it seven times. Uh, uh, we, we're still struggling with getting it ourselves. But thank you that we can learn and grow. Thank you that you delight as we, your children, begin to get it. We begin to respond to you. And we look forward to how you're going to answer the cries of our heart that we've even voiced uh, silently to you today. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. After the service today, if you would, share with at least one other person what the Lord communicated to you in the time. And then uh, ask them uh, to contact you a week later and see what God's done in terms of the business that He was going to do with you because of the issue of prayer.